Well, good morning. I am Pastor Mike, and it is good to meet all of you. If we haven't met, uh, I'm a pastor here at Bible Center, and my role is to focus on discipleship. So I spend a lot of time thinking through how do we help people grow spiritually. So welcome all of you who are joining us live, and welcome to you who are joining us from television uh, or online. Hopefully you can just sit back on your couch and enjoy as we spend time together in God's Word. We're in the middle of our Renewed series, where we're focusing on the end times, which means we're talking about things like when Jesus returns, that hell is a real place. And today we're going to talk about the fact that heaven is also real, and what does it mean for us to go there? How do we go there, and how does it impact us day to day, knowing that that is our eternity with him, God himself? So before we jump into talking about heaven, I want to share a story with you, and I want to connect it to where we're going this morning. A couple weeks ago on a Friday night, I went skiing for the first time. And if you know me, I don't like not knowing what's about to happen. So I watched a video, a 20-minute video, on how to ski. So I got onto the skis for the first time after watching the 20-minute video. And I found out really quickly that watching a video about skiing and actually skiing is not the same thing. So I spent the first half of the evening falling down. But the second half of the evening, I started feeling a little bit better. So my wife, my daughter, and I are going up a little incline, trying to get to some ski lifts and there's this fall off of about four or five feet to my left and a bunch of trees. So as we're going up this incline, this guy in his 20s comes flying down towards us right in front of us. Now, he had no control. It was clearly his first time skiing as well. Maybe he didn't watch a video. But to th so he wouldn't fly off the cliff. He throws himself on the ground and just kind of spins out in front of us. So I'm slowly going up the incline. I look down at him and I say, nice stop, dude. Like I was being serious, nice stop, dude. And he goes, thanks, man. I'm going a little bit farther. All of a sudden, I hear him ask me, dude, can you help me up? And I'm like, okay. So I go over, I put my arm out, he grabs my arm, I kind of get him up, and then he lets go of, his arm, of my arm and he falls right back down. And I said, well, let me help you, because I'd watched a video. So I threw myself on the ground to show him how the video showed me to get up. So now there's two of us laying on the ground, uh, and for some reason, I couldn't get back up. So have you ever seen two upside down turtles trying to help each other? Like, that's kind of what was happening in that moment. So I couldn't get the guy up, um, I couldn't get myself up, and my wife is just shaking her head. So finally, I get myself up just enough where I put all my weight on my skis, not realizing that my skis are perpendicular to the cliff, and I just go falling backwards off the four or five foot drop off and land on my back at the bottom of the trees. So as I'm falling, I look up and my wife is going, honey, honey, and the guy's going, dude, dude, and it's too late. I am down on the ground. On, by the trees. So what I learned in that moment was that watching a video and actually skiing are not the same thing. So in many ways, I feel like in this moment, as I talk to you about heaven, I feel like an upside-down turtle trying to talk to upside-down turtles. So the Word of God talks about heaven, but I've never been there. You've never been there. So it's like putting on a pair of skis for the first time. What it actually feels like is a little bit beyond us. So this is my attempt uh, to present the reality and the beauty of heaven to you. So let's jump in it together. This is the direction we're going. In heaven, we will be with God and one another on an unending journey of increasing joy. The Bible clearly teaches us these things. So we're going to get here by answering a couple questions. The first question is, who will be in heaven? Second question is, when will we go to heaven? And then what will heaven be like? So we're gonna work through those questions to land here. First question is, who will be there? The Bible says, everyone who believes. 
The Bible's very clear, everyone who believes. So what is the content of that belief? What is that faith in? The Bible also goes on to say very clearly that those who believe are those who have said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came and died on the cross for my sins, and he rose again on the third day, and Jesus offers forgiveness to anyone and everyone who places their faith in him as Savior and Lord. So before we go any further in this sermon, if you're at home today and you're thinking through, where am I spiritually? This is your first question. Have you believed? Have you placed your faith in Jesus as the one who can save you from your sin and be the Lord of your life? If you have more questions about that, on your screen you're gonna see a phone number where you can talk with Matt Garrison. Text him right now, ask him some questions. Uh, he would love to help you work through the process of starting your relationship with Christ because I want you to be one of those who have believed. In Philippians chapter three, verse 20, it says this, speaking of those who have believed, for our citizenship is in heaven. Sometimes we think that our citizenship will be in heaven when we get there. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible is very clear that the moment you believe, your citizenship is already in heaven. So you're not waiting to receive citizenship. You've been given citizenship in heaven. So even as you spend time in this country, whatever your country of origin is, I hope that you appreciate your citizenship there. But it just fails in comparison to the reality of this citizenship, which is your eternal, forever citizenship with God in heaven. So who will be there? Everyone who believes, and also everyone who has ever believed. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we, we try to figure out, how do people in the Old Testament get to go to heaven? Will Abraham be there? Will Elijah be there? Well, why? How do they get there? In Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 through 9, it walks through this process for us. So let's, let's spend some time in these verses. It says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it, that is the belief, was credited to him or reckoned to him as righteousness. Righteousness is a right standing before God. You do not have a right standing before God unless he has fully forgiven you. So according to this verse, it's because Abraham believed. Let's go to the next verse. It says, therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. So Abraham believed and he was forgiven. He was made righteous, just like we believe and we are forgiven and we are made righteous. Well, what is the content of Abraham's belief? What is it that he had to believe in? Next verse. The scripture foreseeing or knowing ahead of time that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Did you catch that? The gospel was preached to Abraham. Well, what did it sound like when he, the gospel was preached to Abraham? It sounded like this. All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of the faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. So the content of the gospel given to Abraham is this, all the nations will be blessed in you. So for you and I, we look at Jesus and our faith is in Jesus. For the Old Testament saints, they looked ahead to a coming Jesus. This promise is a promise that there's one who's coming through Abraham, through the descendants of Israel, and through that one, all nations will believe. This is 
an example of the gospel being preached in the Old Testament. From the very beginning of the Old Testament, chapter 3 of Genesis, the gospel was preached over and over and over again through God's promises and God's covenants is preached. So for those in the Old Testament, they had to believe, and that belief was credited to them as righteousness. So here's another way of picturing it. If this is the hill on which Jesus died, and this is the cross, those who came after the cross looked back at Jesus, okay, and believed in Jesus, and then the blood of Christ covers their sin, and they're fully forgiven. So New Testament believers look back on Jesus. Old Testament believers look ahead to Jesus through the promises of God, through the covenants of God, through the teaching of the Lord himself to his people, he is giving them a picture of what is to come. And if they believe God, this is Old Testament believers also placing their faith in God. And the blood of Christ doesn't just run forward into history, it runs backwards into history and saves those who believe after Jesus and saves those who believed before Jesus. The cross itself is the centerpiece of all of history. It's the death of Jesus Christ that saves all who believe, period. So whether you're looking to the coming of Jesus or you're looking at the Jesus who has come, that is the content of your faith. And that is the faith that God says saves you, which credits you with righteousness, which forgives you, gives you the ability to go and spend all of eternity with Jesus himself in heaven. So it wasn't the sacrifices of animals. It wasn't obeying the law. It was faith. Why would they do the things that God said? Because they love God. Why do we do the things that God said? Because we love God. But neither of us live in a world where we're saved by our works. We're saved by faith. So we will be in heaven with everyone who has ever believed. Jesus will say to all who have ever believed, Matthew 25, 34, Come, O blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. If you believe, he will say this to you. He will say it to Elijah. He will say it to Moses. He will say it to everyone who has ever believed, ever, as we enter heaven. When do we go to heaven? The next question, when do we go to heaven? The answer is, immediately in the Spirit. Let's unpack that, immediately in the Spirit. Luke 23 verses 42 through 43, is about the thief. The thief was the guy on the cross beside Jesus. And the thief on the cross says, and he was saying to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And then Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Not one day, not in the future, not when I come back, but today, you, thief, will be with me, Jesus, in paradise. So he immediately, upon their death, went to be with Jesus in paradise. Now, there's been some interesting things thrown out about this topic. One is the concept of soul sleep. There are some who have suggested that your soul actually goes into like this hibernation for a period of time. Like you just kind of lose consciousness until you all of a sudden are brought back to life when Jesus returns. That does not seem to be what Scripture teaches. One, the verse we just looked at also. In Matthew 17, there's this moment on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus shows all of his glory to some of his disciples. In that moment, if you remember, Elijah shows up and Moses shows up, and they like hang out and talk with Jesus. They were not soul sleeping. 
They were fully alive, fully awake, with God himself talking to Jesus. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says this, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Falling asleep means that they have died, they have passed away. So when Jesus returns, he's going to bring with him all who have believed who have already passed. Another thing that I've heard, maybe you've heard, is this concept of purgatory. It has roots in Catholicism, but sometimes you see roots go in lots of different directions. So this concept of purgatory is almost like an idea that there's a detour before heaven or a waiting station. And what this teaches is that all your sins may not be fully covered by Jesus. Therefore, you need to spend a little time in this place called purgatory where your leftover sins are burned off and then you can continue on your way to heaven. The problem with this is it is inconsistent with the gospel. When Jesus was on the cross, if you remember his last words, he says what? It is finished. He doesn't say, I almost got it right, or I almost got everything done. Jesus completed his work on the cross. So when he looks at you and says, you are forgiven, you are fully and completely forgiven. There's no need for a purgatory because when Jesus died on the cross for you, he fully satisfied the wrath of God. There's no wrath left for you. There's no need for a place called purgatory. Next part is in the spirit. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says this, we are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So to be away from the body, that is to die, is to be at home with the Lord. So for me, about five or six years ago, I lost my mom to cancer. My mom knew Jesus, and some of her last words to my father were these, I can't wait to see my new family. She barely got them out, but my dad heard them. And then shortly after, her spirit left her body to be at home with the Lord. So her cancer-ridden body is here in the ground, but my mom is fully alive, fully awake in the presence of God himself, for to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. This is why the Bible says things like this. Because of Jesus, death has lost its sting. Its sting. The Bible also says that Jesus has conquered death. He has defeated death. Why? Because when death robs you of your body, all it's done is created a pathway for your spirit to go directly into the presence of Jesus. Death doesn't win. Jesus does. So we will be with the Lord immediately in the spirit when we die. Here's the big question. What will heaven be like? Several things. One, we will be with Jesus in all of his glory. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 4 says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and their God. Do you notice the emphasis? He just pushes it over and over again. He will be among them. He will be with them. They will be his people. He will be their God among them, with them, dwelling with his people. So right now, as you spend time with the Lord on a day-to-day basis, some days he's going to feel far away. He just is. There's, just, there's a veil between us and him. I know we have the Holy Spirit. I know we have access to God at any moment. But the way this feels versus the way this feels 
is two very different things. It's like watching that 20-minute ski video versus skiing. This day is going to be an amazing, beautiful day. The next verse says this. He, Jesus, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So when you're in the presence of God, when you're spending time with Jesus, it is interaction. He's reaching his hand out and he's wiping tears from your eyes. He sees you. He knows what's going on with you. He has an awareness of what you've been through and he responds and reacts to it. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. I've been asked for the last two weeks what I did to this thing, this goofy finger. So I was cleaning some exercise equipment while it was running, trying to clean the gears. Well, the gears are mostly clean, but before I got them fully clean, I got my finger sucked into the gears, and that was a painful moment. So, like, it was a painful moment. It'd be, this would be like saying, honey, can you turn on the garbage disposal? I'd like to check and see if it's running properly. Like, it was not a good choice. So there's stupid pain. Like, this is stupid pain. But some of you, every single day of your life, wake up with real, legitimate pain, physical, emotional, relational. Some of you have lost loved ones, spouses, children, parents, friends. You have relationships in your life that are just broken, and you feel the pain every single day. Some of you have physical pain that feels overwhelming, like just getting out of bed wears you out. I remember my grandmother, before she passed, she literally would walk at a 90-degree angle because her back was so bad. She was only about five foot two, but she lived life at four foot five because she just was bent over so far because of physical pain. With pain, here's our tendency to push it down, to ignore it, to distract ourselves so we don't have to deal with it, to watch a little more TV, eat a little more food, drink a little more whatever. We have this tendency to try to avoid pain, to not deal with it. Jesus looks right at your pain and he takes it away. So you're not managing your pain anymore. There's no pain to manage. Jesus steps in, he wipes your tears and he removes your pain. Something that you can't do on your own. You can't remove your own pain. But in this moment, your forever moment with Jesus, your pain is taken away. Revelation 22 verse 3 says, the lamb shall be in it. The lamb is Jesus. Jesus shall be in it. That is heaven and his servants shall worship him. You shall see him in such a way that you will respond by worshiping him. So we often worship him here, but there we will do it while we see him and look upon him. The next verse says this, and they will see his face. There's a day when you will see Jesus face to face he will look upon your face and you will look back upon his face. If you've loved Jesus for a long period of time, there's something in you that just jumps with excitement when you read these six or seven words. There's a day when your faith becomes sight. The one who you've longed for, the one who you've just wanted to be closer to, the one who you want intimacy with more than anyone else, one day you see him face to face, and that thought should change you. That thought should give you longing and hope and excitement. So that day is coming. So even in light of this amazing thought, 
and maybe I'm the only one who's ever asked this question, but probably not, after this moment where I've looked on Jesus for a year, for 10 years, for 10,000 years, does heaven then get boring? Is there a point where, like, I just want a little more? Like, do we get tired of heaven? A couple things I want to throw at you. Number one, when we leave this body, a couple things are going to change. So this is our little communion cup that we use in COVID. Not my favorite thing in the world, but this is what we use. In your broken body, with your sin and my sin, our capacity for joy is limited. Like you only have so much capacity on your best day ever, you can only fill up your tiny little cup with joy. This is all you get in this life because you're limited because of your brokenness. So on your best day ever, the best you can do is fill up that cup. But when we go to heaven and the sin is removed, the brokenness is gone, the limitations of this body are gone, and we get to see Jesus face to face in the spirit without sin, our capacity for joy increases. So yeah, if heaven was only ever this, that might get boring. But God gives us a new cup. He increases our capacity. Our ability to experience him and see him and understand him and enjoy him increases. So heaven looks more like this than like this. So I would like to also suggest, not only does God give us a bigger cup, God increases our joy. God fills the cup. Here's a couple interesting verses. Like, Mike, where do you get that from? 1 Peter 1.12 and Luke. Here you see angels. In both of these verses, you see angels who are spiritual beings living in the presence of God. In this verse, it says they, look, they long to look into the things of God concerning the redemptive work with man. So as God's working out his redemptive plan in Jesus, the angels are longing to understand more. They're wanting to look into what God is doing. So they have this desire to grow, this desire to learn. Here in Luke 15, it says, whenever a sinner comes to faith, the angels celebrate and they have this bump up in joy. So every time someone comes to know Christ, the angels' joy actually increases. They are spiritual beings without sin in the presence of God who are experiencing this progression of joy and knowledge. So I would assume the same will be true of us. Wayne Grudem says it this way, we are finite creatures who will never, that includes eternity, will never equal God's knowledge or be omniscient, that is all-knowing. We may expect that for all of eternity, we'll be able to go on learning more and more and more about God. So in heaven, it's not this initial incredible moment, this incredible experience, this incredible vision, and then just an endless eternal state. That's not what heaven looks like. Heaven is not a timeless state, but an eternal succession of moments. And each moment is greater than the moment before. Revelation 22.2 is an interesting verse. It talks about the tree of life. In heaven, there's this tree of life. And it says that every month, it bears and yields new fruit. So even in eternity, in heaven, there's this progression. There's this movement. Things are happening. So we receive eternal life, but that does not mean that, mean that we receive God's all-knowing. It does not mean that we receive God's ability to be omnipresent. It does not mean that we receive his eternal perspective where he sees everything vividly and fully at the same time. We don't get those things. We are still finite. 
So for all of eternity, we get to grow in those things. So our relationship in heaven is not static. It's not fixed. It's dynamic and is growing more and more every single day forever. Every new moment in heaven is a greater discovery and a greater display of God's goodness and grace. A guy named Sam Storm says it this way, heaven is characterized by the increase of joy. Heaven is not simply about the reality or experience of joy, but it's eternal increase. The blessedness of the beauty of heaven is progressive, incremental, and incessantly expansive. The finite explores the infinite forever. The finite explores the infinite forever. That means you and I are jumping into our knowledge of God, getting to know him more and more and more forever. There's no final arrival of joy. There's no ultimate experience. There's an eternal progression of growth. It'd be like this. You climb a mountain, you get to the crest, and you see that amazing view. And then you notice to the left, there's another mountain to climb. You get to the top of that one, then another crest. Forever, you're always climbing higher and seeing a greater view and vision of who God is and what he is like. Increased knowledge in God will always lead to an increased joy in us. God is the most beautiful, loving, and powerful being there is, infinite in beauty. So as you increase in knowing him, your joy in him will continue to increase. That big cup that he gives you, it fills up more and more and more. Your joy is always, forever, increasing. Piper says it this way, with the unending and ever-increasing display will come an unending and ever-increasing discovery on our part of more of the depths and greatnesses, the greatness of God's grace. The psalmist says it this way in Psalm 1611, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Last question. How does the reality of heaven impact us today? How does the reality of heaven impact us today? I would suggest this. It gives us a longing for our forever home, and it provides us with comfort and hope for today. Richard Baxter, I don't know how many of you ever read some stuff written from the 17 and 1600s from our church fathers, some of our, our early roots, but this guy named Richard Baxter was known for being this incredibly powerful spiritual person. But at the same time, he was considered an incredibly weak individual physically. Like he had these incredible spiritual strengths and gifts, but physically he was often sick and went home very early to be with the Lord. He wrote this book called The Saint's Everlasting Rest. If you want a 600-page book on the topic of heaven, pick up The Saint's Everlasting Rest. Richard Baxter wrote it while he was serving in the army. And at the time, he had lost over a gallon of blood and wasn't sure if he was going to make it. So he decided to sit down and just spend time thinking about, musing on his forever with God. And the result of that was his 600 pages of that book. When a biographer describes Richard Baxter, he describes him this way. But there was no man in whom there appears to have been so little of earth and so much of heaven. That's how I want someone to describe me. That's how I want someone to describe you. He also goes on to say, He, Richard, felt scarcely any of the attraction to this world, 
but felt and manifested the most powerful affinity for the world to come. When you're filled up with thoughts of heaven, there just isn't room left for thoughts of earth. When you're preoccupied with where you're going to be, you don't care quite as much about where you are. It sounds like this in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 5.2. It says, For indeed in this house, in this situation, in this body, we groan. There is a longing inside of us to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. If you look around and things just don't seem right, if things seem off, if you never quite feel comfortable here, there's a reason. You should be longing for there because here is broken. You're not designed to be here forever. This is not your home. This isn't even your country of citizenship in comparison to the eternal country you'll be at with the Lord forever. Your citizenship is in heaven. So therefore, we groan, we long for that place. Hebrews 11.10 speaks of Abraham. For Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. So God meets with Abraham and gives Abraham these incredible promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you a a land flowing with milk and honey. Through you, all nations will be blessed. But Abraham, even with all those incredible promises, was focused on this. I just want to be with you, God. I want there to be a place that is eternal like you are. I'm longing for heaven. Jesus looks at his disciples in John 14. In John 13, Jesus has just told his disciples, I'm only going to be with you for a little bit longer. I'm going to be returning to my Father. His disciples had nothing but Jesus. They put down their nets. They gave up their careers. They had left their families. All they had was Jesus. They had three years of just Jesus. And then Jesus looks at them and says, I'm going to be leaving you. So understandably, they're upset. Understandably, they feel overwhelmed. They have anxiety and fear. Based upon that, this is what Jesus says to bring calm to their hearts. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He speaks of heaven. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also will be where I am. So in their moment of anxiety, when they're overwhelmed, Jesus' response to that moment is, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place just for you. And one day I'm coming back. And when I come back, you're going to be with me. I'm going to take you with me. And we're going to go there, and we're going to be there forever. So for you, this has been a hard year. It's even been a hard couple months. If you're filled with anxiety, if you felt the stress, if you have relationships that are just strained, if you're dealing with loss, if there's any pain in your life at all, hear these words from Jesus. These are words to hurting disciples. If you're a hurting disciple, these are words for you. One day Jesus is coming back. And he will take you to be with him forever in a place called heaven, where you get to see him face to face. So his words to his anxious disciples are his words to you. I want you to live a life filled with hope, where no one and no circumstances can take that hope from you. So if your hope is based on Jesus and his return, and you're forever with him in eternity in heaven, it increases your hope. It increases your joy. 
It puts you in a position that you can have comfort in very hard circumstances. So we long for and we embrace the reality of our forever with Jesus. Final thoughts. Step one for some of you might be making sure that you've placed your faith in Jesus. If you're not sure where you are spiritually, I would love to meet with you, or our online pastor, Matt Garrison, would love to meet with you and help you think through where you're at in your spiritual journey. Have you placed your faith in Jesus? If you haven't, you can do so right now. You simply talk to him. He can hear you, whether you're speaking in your mind or you're speaking out loud. And you say, Jesus, I recognize you are the son of God. You've died on the cross for my sins and you rose from the dead. I place my faith in you as the one who can save me and forgive me and you will be the Lord of my life. If you've said that prayer and you meant it with your heart, you are a citizen of heaven. Everything we talked about, all that hope available is now yours. If you've made that decision, I want to know. I want to be praying for you. I'd like to get to know you. I'd like to put you in a position where you know other people who've made the same decision as you. So for some of you, your first step is placing your faith in Jesus. If you've done that, your step might be find some time to be thinking more and more about heaven. I like going for walks, and on my walks, I love looking at the sky and looking at nature and thinking about my one day forever with Jesus. As I spend time reading God's word, I want to think about seeing him face to face. I want you to be consumed with heaven. So my encouragement to you is to find ways to be thinking about heaven, because in heaven, we will be with God and one another on an unending journey of ever-increasing joy. Let me pray for us. Fathers, we come before you, if there's anyone here or anyone watching who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, my prayer and my request is that they would make a decision for you, that they would place their faith in you, Jesus, as Lord and Savior. For those of us who have made that decision, who have placed our faith in you, may we become consumed with the concept of heaven, are forever with you. May we long to see you face to face, to be taken home by you, to be with you forever. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.